with me in a moment of prayer. Gracious Lord, we come to look at a part of the scriptures where you speak, the most extended period where you speak to someone. And so we pray that you would enable us to hear and learn from this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So that was a <coughs> amazing the way the Lord works because first thing I was going to be focusing on storms, which Trevor didn't know about. He came up and spoke about storm, storms, so God was ahead of us already. Then the Lord God spoke to Job out of the storm. That's verse 1, chapter 38. That's where we are of Job. And God, you see, speaks in a storm. Now, most of us don't actually want to listen when we're in the middle of a storm. We don't necessarily believe that we can listen to God when everything is a storm for us or we might be unaware that God's actually in the storm with us. Did you think about that? Whatever your storm is, God's in there with you. And sometimes God speaks in a storm and that can be very frightening because when you are in a storm in your life, things are messed up, aren't they? Stuff is happening that doesn't usually happen. New things are happening, unexplained things are happening and uncontrolled things are happening. And you can't do things the way you usually do when you're in a storm because you have to make new decisions, take new actions. Change is sort of forced upon you in a storm and you may very well have no idea of how you're going to cope with that or of what you're supposed to do next. And if God speaks to you in a storm, you can be a bit scared. It can be a bit frightening because uh, <clears throat> he may show you something that you need to do which you've never done before. He might be asking you to do things that you thought, I can't do that. But the storm is sort of forcing itself upon you. And uh, we can be scared because... We're creatures of habit, aren't we? We don't like change. In fact, change is a little bit frightening and disturbing. So, there's God. He speaks to Job in the storm of his circumstances and he'd lost everything. He was in a decent, very bad place. And what's his, his opening statement? You'd think, oh, great, oh, poor guy. Look, come here, I'll give you a cuddle. What does he say? 38 verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plan with words without knowledge? Words without knowledge. The Living Bible, in a fairly rare occurrence of accurate translation, puts it this way. Why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? Hmm. And the New Living Translation says, Who's this? that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. So God's first words to Job are, Mate, you don't know everything you think you know. You're oblivious to my plans. You don't know everything I'm thinking about you and you're just unfamiliar with my works, with the way I do things. <clears throat> And obviously God is saying that Job's completely oblivious to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job where there was this discussion about his future between the, the accuser, the, the Satan. And of course, 
Job is oblivious about God's plans for his future. Now, we've got to note here that God is not questioning the integrity of Job. He's not questioning how sincere he is, but it's just simply Job's ability to explain the ways of God in this world. See, Job knew a lot about God, but he didn't know everything about God. And that's a reminder to us to not assume on the basis of our many years of reading the Bible, our experience of living a dedicated Christian life, to not assume that we know everything about God. And it's a reason to remain humble in expressing our Christian viewpoint, expressing our judgments or our assessments about what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with those other guys there. We need to be able to admit truthfully, I don't think I know as much about God as I thought I did. Because God says to Job then in verse 3, Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. How many conversations <clears throat> have you had with people where they sort of casually dismiss God? They say things like, oh, the God I believe in, he wouldn't be like that. He'd never allow this. He'd never do that. And God and me, I reckon we'd probably be good mates. And, and I get so much emotional comfort from, my, from God. He supports me. I don't, I don't have to change anything. Well, in this book, of Job, which I said is the longest conversation that God has with anyone in the Bible, it's not a comforting, comfortable start, is it? And anyone who thinks they've had a direct experience of God which is only fluff and candy is kidding themselves. You don't stick your finger in a light socket in order to get enlightenment and you don't as a mere mortal get to experience the infinite God of the universe without getting your ears pinned back. Brace yourself like a man. It's telling Job. Brace yourself like a man is telling us that Job's going to get his ears pinned back by the presence of the Lord. Now, of course, sometimes God comforts us very deeply. But sometimes we need discipline. Because sometimes we become comfortable in our opinions. And God needs to confront us. And sometimes God demands an answer for, from us. And if you think God's not going to point out from time to time areas of your life which need changing, then you've not understood who the God of the Bible is. You've not understood his concern for holiness, for purity, for righteousness, for justice. Some sections of Christendom have understood that the hurting people of the world want comfort and they've package the gospel and worship services in such a way that they highlight the comfort which comes only from Jesus. But if they don't say that comfort comes after repentance and it continues only as you try to live a pure and a righteous life for the glory of God, if they don't point out that a real encounter with God involves a radical understanding of our sinfulness in comparison to God's holiness, then they don't have a complete biblical understanding of God. Because if you really want to meet God, then you will need to brace yourself like a man. Would it surprise you to know that he has already spoken? He has spoken. 
and he continues to speak in the person of Jesus. But in these last days he had spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And people want to have that, that voice of God coming to them individually. Well, it already has come. It's Jesus. Look at Jesus. Listen to what he says. He's speaking to us through Jesus, through the Bible. And the, he says things along the lines of, I know you, I love you, and I'm looking for you to come to me and walk with me. But you'll need to turn away from all those voices promising you what only I can give. Come and worship me, the only one who can deliver. So we saw in the scripture uh, reading, the visual scripture reading there that in the last chapters of Job, there's three main areas that God speaks to Job with. And firstly, he says, Job, I'm going to grill you about your understanding of the creation of the universe. And question after question there hammers home that Job's completely in ignorance of how God made it all, how he created it all. And the second thing he God's questions hammer home is that Job is just completely ignorant about how God sustains everything that he created. And the third, which was not in that scripture reading there, but it's also at the end there, he demonstrates his power not just up in the heavens, but he brings it down to earth uh, and describes two very powerful creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, which he created, powerful creatures, just because he can. You know, it amuses me to hear kids sometimes telling me about how to run a farm, how to eat a healthy diet, how to take care of the planet and so on. They're so authoritative when they spurt out ideas which they've just absorbed from the people around about them and they're just regurgitating them confidently. And you look at them and you go, mate, what would you know, really? They don't know what they don't know. And that's us when we want God to explain why there is suffering and torment in this world. Because we don't know what we don't know. And just like kids, we need to be quiet and listen to someone who does know. And so we need to be silent when God questions us. Like in Job 38 verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Uh, I'm a bit saddened by people who talk so authoritatively about how the universe was created, whether they're evolutionists or creation science, old earth, young earth, because none of them were there. So there should be some humility about your opinions, I reckon, because only God and his heavenly court was there. And in these chapters, God's going to ask question after question, which scientists have actually been trying to solve and answer unsuccessfully since then for thousands of years. Like who decided how big the earth would be? Who decided how to provide light? Climatic variations. If something as big as the world, the world, where are you going to hang it? How are you going to suspend it? Job 38 verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Don't we, if you understand. And who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And what were its footings set? Or laid? Or who laid its cornerstone? Can you get a, a glimpse of the intelligence 
in the sheer competence of someone who is able to make an ocean, able to set up the boundaries for that ocean, able to make it possible you can store amazing amounts of water in clouds. Who saints? Who shut up the sea behind doors when a burst fills from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far and no further, here's where your proud waves halt. Come to think of it, <coughs> where did all the water in the oceans come from in the first place? And who's ever gone down to the bottom of the ocean? Challenger Deep is 10,999 metres, nearly 11 k's down. That's the deepest part of the ocean in the Mariana Trench. Job, God asked Job, verse 16, Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep, 11 k's down? And then what about other places that you can't voluntarily go to, like the border between life and death? We can't go backwards and forwards over that border as we please, can we? Verse 17, God says, Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? You know, we're kidding ourselves about how much we know, about how much we're in control of our lives. We're really like kids playing around with Lego, making toys, playing imaginary games with the pieces. But as those kids didn't earn the money to buy the Lego, they didn't actually make the Lego pieces, they didn't build the playroom in which those Lego pieces are stored, they didn't give themselves life, they didn't give themselves a personality, didn't give themselves an imagination, they didn't give themselves their unique combination of DNA, and so in the same manner, we're just playing around with the Lego pieces of life, playing imaginary games with our future, what we'd like to see happen, building Lego kingdoms, which are not going to last what we're thinking next year. And we too easily forget the fact that the, the fact that we are alive is a miracle, that we have a conscience. Where did that come from? Where did our feelings come from? Where did our imagination come from? Where did our power and our determination? All those are gifts to us that we receive because we didn't birth ourselves, and we have a limited capacity to understand. Think about, we've been for a while in what's known as the knowledge explosion. I mean, I've been studying and reading for most of my lifetime and I know a few things about music and theology and psychology and many other ologies, but I don't know everything about anything. None of us do. And scientific research is rushing on. They're constantly discovering how our bodies work, how agriculture works, how astronomy works, and people these days are crowing about our ability to map the human genome and they are racing arrogantly to thinking that they're going to create life just the way we want it. We'll, make the, we'll select out of the DNA what we want to make. But it's just simply not possible for any doctoral PhD student to have a PhD in every subject at the university, is it? There's not enough time in anyone's lifetime just to learn what mankind knows. And you know what? Human knowledge is only an attempt to discover 
but someone who already has all the knowledge created it. It's an attempt to discover and understand part of what God already knows. And so it just seems really evil to not acknowledge the supreme competence of God that thought up how to create life with almost infinite variety of interlocking systems and rules of engagements and biological organisms and beings and entities with a level of detail which goes down to a subatomic level. Who had the intellectual capacity to do that? The Lord. And not to and then just by speaking to bring it into existence. So after those questions, Job got the point. He heard the multitude or sorry, the magnitude of his offence in demanding that God explain himself, and he showed us the right way to react to God in chapter forty. Verse 2, the Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And Job answered the Lord, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I'll say no more. And he claps his hand over his mouth in horror, tries to catch the words which have escaped and shove them back inside so no one can see how stupid he is. That's a good reaction. In Job chapter 38 and 39, it's sort of summary here, God's questions reveal what God knows about the stars in the universe, where rain comes from, how come water can freeze, where the gravitational laws come from, how lightning's made, how rain comes, and in the animal kingdom, it shows how and why lions hunt their prey, how ravens provide for their young, shows the life cycles and instincts of mountain goats and wild donkeys and oxen and ostriches, horses, hawks. He knows these things because he made them and he implanted in them instincts to survive, instincts to reproduce. And as well as that, there's this issue of justice, Job, you know, that when you say, oh, it's not fair, why isn't God stopping the bad stuff from happening? So what does he say about that in chapter 40, verse 8? He says, would you discredit my justice? In other words, you're gonna, it's like you're condemning me to justify yourself because your idea of justice, you think, trans, trumps God's idea of justice. And God's asking, really, really? You think you know enough to question the way I do justice? Really, Job? Verse 9, do you have an arm like God's, Job? Can your voice thunder like this, like his? Do you have the power and the capacity and the knowledge and the information that God has to weigh up all the factors and dispense justice correctly? And if you think you know how to do that, how to dish out all the justice in this unjust world, then God tells, goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, well, in that case, adorn yourself with glory and splendour and clothe yourself in honour and majesty and unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all the proud. Bring them low. Look at all the proud. Humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in all in the dust together and shroud their faces in the grave. And then I myself will admit to you 
that your own right hand can save you. But of course, Job can't do that. And so when we see our country sliding inexorably away from Christian values and we want to punish someone for leading them astray, just let go of that desire you have for justice according to what you can see. Leave the judging up to God. Get on with speaking the truth in love. Because God loves those who are going astray and he calls us to do the same. God finishes his charge to Job. He talks about the two wild and the powerful untamed beasts which he's created, Behemoth and Leviathan. And if you read the descriptions there in, in Job, you'll be hard put to work out hey, what are they exactly. There's some affinities to a hippopotamus, a crocodile, but then there's equally strong Features similar to dinosaurs, such as Diplodocus, Chronosaurus, Brachiosaurus. And whilst we can't definitively say what they are, I think the main point is that they demonstrate the power of God's creation in God's creation. Because there's these amazingly powerful beasts and there's puny mankind by comparison. And God's saying, well, these guys are powerful, but I can take them out. I can take them out if I want to. And he's talking about behemoth, which uh, although it's a herbivore, it has a tail like a tree. His legs and bones are so dense they're like iron. It's the strongest of all creation, created animals. And he says, though, in verse 19, though it ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. In other words, he can take it out if he wants to. Interesting by by uh, comment here, there's a strong case for Leviathan being the origin of dragon stories. You've heard about dragons? Well, remember, the book of Job's written you know, a few thousand years ago, and there's plenty of time for myths and legends about dragons to evolve. Well, what's it say here? 41 verse 8, its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the eyes of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Sounds like a dragon to me. It's so powerful that 41 verse 33, nothing on earth is its equal. It's a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It's king over all that are proud. Well, what do you think is the point of these two beasts? Well, I think it's the, the wild element. You know, the wild element, the untamable aspect of creation. There are cyclones, there are earthquakes, there are fires, there's flood, there's snow, there's sleet, there's hail, tsunamis in this beautiful world. And we call it, we kind of call it the force of nature. Well, it's the force of God who made the nature. But it's saying... The world in which we live is not totally tamed. And we are privileged in the Mucca region to be closely interacting with wild nature because we're at the mercy of the rain, the frost, the hail, the fire. In marginal country we experience the wildness of creation and it reminds us of the one who created us. 
created life on this planet and the very planet itself. And it reminds us that we're small and we're weak and we're puny in comparison to our environment, in comparison to our maker. And hopefully we can come more easily than city dwellers do to the conclusion which Job comes to in chapter 42. He replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Well, yeah, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I'll speak. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Well, verse 5, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So he's got to a new level of revelation there. And therefore his response, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now city dwellers huddle together and gradually buy into the illusion they put everything under control and they listen more and more to one another, the world of man, and become duller and duller to the voice and the truth of God. So hopefully as a country person more closely connected with wild nature, you can know what Job knew in, in uh, verse 2 there, I know that you can do all things. And this foundational, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Are you grumbling about your life in some way? Or have you got to Job's position of intellectual humility in verse 3, the second half of that verse, Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You've heard about God, but can you see more of what God is really like because of Job's story? My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. And you'll know whether your eyes have really seen how infinitely powerful God is as the creator of the universe as the sustainer of the universe, as the creator of beasts within this world which are staggeringly more powerful than us, if you have a realistic concept of how you rate in comparison to infinite God. Verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. We need intellectual humility, don't we? We need to lay down our complaining. And lay down our moanings, lay down our beefs with God, to lay down our need to know why, to understand everything that's happening to us, because we have a God who does know. Will you pray with me? Gracious and infinitely powerful Lord God, you restored Job's fortunes. You doubled his family, you doubled his wealth, you doubled his lifespan. You never doubted his sincerity and integrity just his capacity to understand. The real story is not that you made up for what the locust had stolen. The real story is Job's faithful response to a more accurate understanding of how infinite you were. Job came to understand that no matter what happened to him, the God he worshipped was competent, he was capable, he was consistent, is caring and Job didn't need to understand why anymore. He only needed to understand who 
he was worshipping. He just needed to trust that one who had all the knowledge and understanding and was working out his infinitely complex plan in a perfect way and which only he was capable of executing. We don't need to know why because you know why. We need to know you and we need to trust and obey you. So forgive us, Lord, for grumbling. Forgive us, Lord, for moaning. Forgive us for having to understand everything. We want to put our trust in you. Amen. Thank you.